That's not it? Sure. Fruit juice and crackers. Fruit juice and crackers. Why Seems... did you emphasize it? Fruit juice and crackers. Fruit juice and crackers. Because we're recording. Oh, why did you say <laughs> that that way? What a weird way to say things. What a weird way to start things. Welcome to Historical Baptist FC, life and ministry from a historical Baptist perspective. I'm Robert Klotz, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Church of Talladega. And I am Heath Walton, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church of Talladega. Hey, Robert. Yeah. What does FC stand for? Fruit juice and crackers. That's FJC, but we'll go with it. Yeah, well, it's better than what you were saying. Fruit juice and crackers. (laughs) I don't understand why. I don't know. I think it has to do with the Jolly Rancher that's in my mouth. Or the fact that it's 3.15 in the afternoon on a Wednesday. That too. Um, All right. Uh, We are picking up on the Baptist distinctive we talked about in the last episode, because we didn't make it through both ordinances, talking about the Lord's Supper. So the Baptist faith and message, I think we ended this way last time, uh, says this about our beliefs about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. Lots of of important information packed in there. Um, Let's start with the fact that it's a symbolic act. Um, we, We believe, of course, that in partaking of bread and the fruit of the vine, that we symbolize what Jesus told us we symbolize, his body broken, uh, for the redemption of our sins and his blood shed for the atonement of our sins. Uh, his body broken as our substitute, his blood shed as, as the perfect sacrifice um, so that our sins could be forgiven. Uh, anything else to add to that? Uh, not to our definition, but um, do you, un- like, I try to understand where other denominations are coming from mm-hmm. in their view on this. Do you Do you understand where some of these are coming from? Boy, we started at 17, and that clock is going off again. But yeah. if you were here for the last podcast... You, you, I, I don't understand your question. You just asked sorry. me, do I understand where some of these other denominations are coming from? With what? <laughs> so, like, their views on the Lord's Supper. Okay. So, of course, you have the Roman Catholic view, which everybody... Transubstantiation. Yes. But also the... Not so much that, but this idea of the sacraments, like you brought up in the last podcast okay. about baptism, what would what would certain denominations say about the Lord's Supper being a sacrament? So a sacrament would be a means of grace. It is the the means by which you receive the grace of God. So you are actually receiving God's grace as you partake of these elements. That's a, again a, a predominantly Roman Catholic belief. Um, because you have, um, again, different means of receiving God's grace. That is uh, why the Protestant Reformation focuses so much on sola fide, justification by faith alone. Mm-hmm. It's it's not justification by the partaking of the sacraments, but justification by faith alone. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, that's a dividing line of the Reformation um, more than an, even denominationally. And then... Of course, again, uh, along the lines of the Reformation and some denominational divide would be the beliefs about transubstantiation versus symbolism and the and spectrum substantiation and things like in that. In between, the question always goes back to, and and I think the one that is most often challenged is the Baptist belief. 
mm-hmm. um, because the challenge usually comes, what does the word is mean? What does Jesus mean when he says is? This is my body. This is my blood. Wouldn't the most li- literal understanding be transubstantiation or something close to that, to which we would say the word is, as in this is my body and this is my blood, Jesus uses that term in the same way that he would use the phrase, I am the door. He didn't suddenly become a door. It's symbolic language to describe a symbolic act. And he was literally holding bread and a cup of wine. So, yeah, I find that to be a pretty weak argument. But... Just wanted to clarify that for people who would be listening, because there are other denominations, even within Protestantism, that uses that term sacrament uh, for the Lord's Supper. Yeah, I remember, um, this is back when I f- first started in pastoral ministry, it was either my first or second Lord's Supper, I just referred to it as a sacrament. I, mm-hmm. you know, the, As we prepare to partake of this sacrament, and I thought, I, I need to go back and do some research on that, because I, I know that wasn't right. It felt funny to say it. Uh, it's a word I knew, but it, it's not something I was familiar enough with to understand why we would talk about it as a remembrance, as a celebration, as remembering and proclaiming, um, where we would talk about it like as communion and not sacrament. Why we would say it's an ordinance instead of a sacrament. And so I went back and, and studied the difference between the two. And again, it's because it's an ordinance, that is, it is ordained of Christ that mm-hmm. we should obey it, remembering and proclaiming what he's done until he comes again. Uh, but it is not a sacrament that is a means of grace. It is a reminder of the grace that we have received by faith alone. It is something we do in remembrance of Christ. All right, so uh, symbolic act of obedience, um, just like baptism, it is obedience to Christ who says, "Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you, as as often as you eat it and drink it in, in remembrance of me." And so, um, basic obedience dictates that we need to do this. Um, it, our definition there in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 also says, "Whereby members of the church." Yep. So um, that gets us into the question of. Um, closed, close, or open? Yeah, closed, close, or open. You want to define those for us? Um, so our church, uh, First Baptist Talladega, in its, in its founding articles was actually uh, a closed communion, as was common at the time anyway for, for congregations, but it was a closed communion in that the only way that you could partake of the Lord's Supper with them uh, was to actually be a member of that church. Um, and, and what they're doing is, at least what I think they're doing, is they're taking very seriously the warnings given by God in connection with the Lord's Supper, and therefore the, the way that they can best protect their church is by saying only members of their church can partake. Open is the opposite, that, that anyone can partake. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, that's if they're a believer or just anyone can come to the table, we're not going to question it or... I think de- like definitionally open communion mean that means the table is open to anyone. Yeah. I I I think and you know uh, you don't know our address. So write in if you uh, want to correct me but um I I think that definitionally speaking it would be open to anyone and everyone and that if you limit it to believers you've already moved into the the center, yeah, it's the broadest category, but it is the middle category of close communion. Now, I, I, I may be saying some of that wrong, but um, at least 
as far as how I understand it, that that would be the case. And then close communion is, as we said, is that middle ground. You, uh, it is not closed to only church members, but it is also not open to anyone. So yes. for most Southern Baptist churches, at least, again, according to our, um, our statement of faith and the way that that is generally applied, it would be all baptized believers. You might yes. say all baptized believers who are a member in good standing of a local church, even if it's not this one. Um, so those those would be different forms of that what we would call close communion. It's not closed off to only the members, but it is close. It's 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 not open to just anyone. And they are usually preceded by a warning from the scriptures concerning about examining yourself and. Right and making sure you're fit to take communion and things like that. So let's talk about some, uh, you know, I, I don't want to venture uh, too far beyond before we ask a, a few questions about this, um, because I think there are strengths and weaknesses to all three of those positions. And, of course, we as Southern Baptists would take that middle position. Um, of course, that may differ among I mean, Southern yeah, Baptist even churches. Even among Southern Baptists, right? Because a, a, a literal reading whereby members of the church, you could you could say, well, that means they must be members of your local church. So, yeah, it, it's going to differ. But um, so, so let's talk about strengths and weaknesses. What And you mentioned some of the strengths of a closed communion. I think the other strength is you have a clear process for the final step of church discipline. Uh, already put into place, in that you you withhold um, the ability to partake of the Lord's Supper if someone who is a member of your congregation is no longer a member in good standing, but they're uh, they're under discipline by yeah. the church. They've been voted by the congregation under discipline, and so they're not allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper. I know that there are uh, some Baptist churches who who do that that way. Lots of other denominations as well would practice the final step of Matthew 18 church discipline in that manner, and it gives you a clear avenue for that. Um, as, as you said, it, it holds a high and lofty view of the Lord's Supper, which is a, a very good thing. It's a good thing. Um, it also maintains a high view of church membership, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good thing. What would you say, though, are maybe some of the... Um, is there a downside to a closed communion? I think that if it becomes uh, more of a, and it shouldn't, but it could because we're sinners, becomes more of a policing the table situation where... Instead of um, fencing or guarding your policing. Instead of fencing or guarding your policing, as in um, you begin to decide who is worthy to take it and who is not, I, I think that might become very problematic, not only for, you know, your 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 personal life in that you're becoming arrogant or... Um, judging in a manner that is not biblical, uh, but also um, it could cause great disunity in the church, and, and I, I don't think that uh, the Lord would be pleased with that. Um, yeah, I, and and I think as as you're uh, as you're saying that, it, it also makes me think. Um, it's not a guarantee, but there is again the, the open. The, there's the possibility that you could end up making the Lord's Supper into something more than Jesus intended it to be. Yeah, where you start to let it slip into sort of a, a, a sacrament, mm-hmm. where you have made this such a privilege of member in good standing and no one else that that it becomes sort of this mystical thing that only we get to do and no one else. Um, and again, I I, I don't. 
I don't think that's automatic, but I think the the risk is there. Yeah. Um, what what are some of the pros of an open communion? Hmm. I'm not sure of any. I mean, I mean, we could go <laughs> we could go at surface level as you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings because you're not turning anybody away. Well, I, yeah, I guess you could. Well, but then again, if there's someone who studies their Bible very well, you could have an issue of disunity there for them saying, you know, you're not even warning. You're just yep. opening it. So there could, I think every situation has the potential for disunity because we're a bunch of sinners in the same building. Am I, am I wrong? Um, so every situation ever in ministry has the potential for disunity. But other than that, I really don't see any, any good upside to, um, open communions. um, with the exception of maybe hospitality toward those in another denomination that we do believe are Christians. Uh, but again, you, you can allow them in close as well. It doesn't have to be full open communion in that sense. Yeah. But I that's, think, that's I think I some right might argue, and, and again, I, I think you and I are on the same page about the, the faultiness of this argument, but I think some might argue that you provide an opportunity for the lost to be convicted of their sin and uh, their eyes open to the gospel as they partake of those elements, even as a non-believer, that their eyes could be open in that moment. Now, the I think trouble... Their, their eyes could be open whether they partake or right, not. Right. The trouble with that is they could still see the proclamation that is the Lord's Supper by the church as they yeah. sit in their seat without partaking and... You are then encouraging them to, as Scripture says, heap judgment upon themselves by yeah. partaking of it so wrongly. Th- that's where my issue is with open communion: is you are doing exactly that. Um, and the other thing, if you're if you're trying to make the argument that by letting a non-believer partake, you're using the Bible against itself, and that's not good. And also, you are. You're usurping the Holy Spirit's role yep. in, in transforming their lives. So I don't find that to be a strong argument, but it is going to be an argument that people make, but it's just not a, a not a strong one in my estimation. All right. Strengths and weaknesses of close communion. It's all good. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, <laughs> just um, ride that middle lane. Um, some might think it weak, uh, as in um, catering, not having a backbone, if you will. Um, because the the ones who are very convicted of closed communion would say, you're catering to the world here, and you shouldn't care about that, while the ones who um, are convicted of open communion would say, you're hindering people. Um, again, every situation in the church can have disunity. Uh, I just see this to be the most biblical way, it, of course, you say this all the time, so I'm going to say it. We we do that because we believe it's the right way to do it. Um, now, even with hangups and reservations, we... and I I would say I think the most glaring weakness, as far as what I see um, in our manner of doing things, um, is that we have we have given ourselves a, a bit of a hiccup for that that last measure of church discipline. If that's the means by which you would have to publicly exercise that final step of church discipline, which again, prayerfully, we never get to, but if that's the way, 
you could potentially be allowing someone who you don't know what their standing is in, mm-hmm. in their own church, of which they are a member, to come and partake of the table while not allowing someone in your church family because you've deemed them in unrepentant sin. And yeah. there's just a bit of inconsistency there. I think that you can still explain it. It still makes good sense. But it it, it can... It can cause a perception of disunity, or not disunity, but of um, inconsistency. incongruency, inconsistency. Um, I see that, and that's that's, that's actually a really good things. argument. Sure. So that's a much better argument than the one you levied for those who uh, support open. Um, but yeah, I, I can see that as a, a genuine weakness in the in the close view. All right, so let's, I think then the next question we have to ask, and I beat you to it again, um, is... What does the FC stand for? No, we already talked about that. (laughs) Just... Um, (laughs) Do you have to be baptized by immersion to take up the Lord's Supper? To rightly take the Lord's Supper? Is that what you're asking me, to rightly take it? Hang on. Um, it's throw heath to the wolves day. So at the at the <laughs> end of the article on baptism, which we talked about in the last episode, uh, there's this final sentence that bridges between um, the article on baptism and the article on Lord's Supper because they're included together, baptism and the Lord's Supper in Article 7. Being a church ordinance, so talking about baptism, being a church ordinance, it is prerequisite to the privileges of church membership, which we talked about, alluded to in the last episode, and to the Lord's Supper. Now, our article on baptism clearly defines this as baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Is baptism by immersion in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit prerequisite to the Lord's Supper? In a close communion, you give a warning about, you know, properly taking communion. I would argue, as a Baptist, that the only proper way to take communion is if you have been redeemed and baptized after you were redeemed. Uh, and so I would argue that you you do need to be um Baptism by immersion after being regenerate. And I know there will be people who disagree, but that's my view. Um, but in close, that also means I'm not policing that. I'm gonna we're gonna put out the warning there, put out what the scripture says, and leave that up to the conscience. Um uh, you know, I'm not sure that like alleviates us from all the issues surrounding that, but that's what we do. We throw that out there and say, This is what we believe. Um, and then if you can in good conscience come up and, and take communion, then by all means do, or sit at your seat and peel the lid off, but by all means do. So what are your thoughts? I mean, that is how, so I think that's a fair synopsis of how we, in all practicality, uh, exercise or practice um, our close communion here at, at First Baptist, that when when we have offered the warning and extend the invitation um you know, we in and the the way I introduce that is we invite all baptized believers to come and partake. We then make that a matter of conscience. So if Which we have other if, denominations would say they're baptized even though we would disagree with them. Right. So if we have a you know good Methodist with us on Christmas Eve and or on Maundy Thursday and we're partaking of the Lord's Supper 
Lord's Supper together, and I give that invitation, I believe that that, that good Methodist is a, is a follower of Jesus. I believe that that good Methodist is a member in good standing in his or her congregation. Um, but I do not believe that that good Methodist has been baptized in a way that is biblical and appropriate. Mm-hmm. I, I believe then that as a matter of conscience, that believer thinks themselves to be baptized and a believer and a member in good standing of their church and is welcome to partake, but I sure do wish they'd be Baptist. Yeah. And I don't know, again, I don't know that our way of doing it is the right way or the, or maybe better stated, the perfect way. Um, but I, 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 I'm not convicted other, I'm not convicted of it. I'm not convicted that we're doing things wrongly. No. Um, and, and I, I think that we're doing things in a way that is biblical and appropriate. I do think that that should be a matter of conscience on the part of that believer. Um, and, and I pray that the Lord would convict our heart that being Methodist just, you know, to have some things wrong and, and they'd come and, and be baptized and we'd dunk them and they'd join our church, you know. I, <laughs> um, but, um, I, I, and I, but I think as a matter of conscience, they can partake of the Lord's Supper, believing themselves to be baptized. I would just also like to one day see them get actually baptized. And, you know, I wonder now, and, and this is something we can't answer on here most likely, but is there a church somewhere doing something even in between closed and close? You know, is there something there that, that is just a little bit different? Maybe if you are a, um, a well, member now, of a sister church yeah, or something like so that, you know. I, I, I have heard that, that mm-hmm. if you're a member of a sister church, meaning another Southern Baptist church, you could partake of the Lord's Supper. I have also heard um, that same, almost the identical introduction that I give. We invite all baptized believers to come and partake, except there's one addition. We invite all believers who've been baptized by immersion to come and partake. Yeah. Um, which then would open it up to other denominations. So would that be semi-closed? Well, what, but so, so then you still have the question of, well, what about those who are only baptized in the name of the Son? There are denominations who yeah. baptize by immersion, but they won't do it in the name of the Father, the Son, no, and the Holy Spirit. They only baptize in the name of Jesus. So that person would still be allowed to partake. And so, it, you well, know... then you'd have to even limit it even more by saying those who have been baptized by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And who are members in good standing of a yeah. local church. Hmm. I, I, I think... You know, I think that's one of those things that it, it's good for us to ask hard questions of ourselves and always ask, are we doing this in the best way possible? And I think yep. we are, but I certainly understand that there are other ways to look at this, and I, you know, I, yeah. I respect those. So, mm-hmm. um, all right, uh, all right. So we partake of bread and the fruit of the vine. Mm-hmm. Uh, because those are the elements that that Jesus ordained, and we do this as an ordinance because He ordained them. Can are you, are you about to make me angry? Can you take communion with other elements? Is there a sound effect for like explosions? And no, uh, no, I, I do not believe you can, nor should you uh, even try. Because what you've done in that point, not only are you um, not using what Christ Himself said to use. 
I think you're belittling the Lord's Supper when you do that. You, you're not taking it seriously. So I would go so far as to say you're cheapening it. You, you are, and that's what I mean by that. You're cheapening it. So when you when you come in and, um, for for instance, at our own church when this was years ago when I came as a leading worship one week for the students, I walk in and they were doing communion with tortilla chips and Coca Cola, um, and that bothered me even then when I wasn't really theologically sound at all, it, it bothered me greatly then because I felt like they were almost not intentionally, but mocking the Lord's Supper. Um, as you know, I'm already more of a, a regulative principle type of guy that if the Bible says this specifically, you should be doing it. Uh, and, and when it says the fruit of the vine and the bread, I believe that's the limit. That's what you should be using. Don't you know, and then of course you're going to have the people make dumb arguments, and I'm going to just go ahead and say they're dumb for those listening. Well, what about grape jelly? What about I mean, just just dumb, really dumb things like that. Those uh, again, you're cheapening the Lord's Supper even with those type of arguments. Um, uh, it's another one of those things like baptism. It's not something that should be taken lightly. Even though it doesn't save you, it's not something that should be taken lightly. Well, and I, I think that you have to walk a line between making it accessible and, well, I, let me backtrack that. You don't have to walk a line. I understand the sentiment of wanting to make it accessible. So in, in that case, in, in, in youth meeting, I don't think that's an example of that. But I know I watched, I lost track of how many brother pastors would put out Facebook posts about just grab whatever you've got. We're going to do Lord's Supper today because they were doing online services during COVID-19 pandemic shutdown. Can you do um, online communions? Well, first of all, no, I don't think you can because you're not communing with the saints. Now, um, I, I at the same time, I, I do think it's okay to break that bread around your table. I think you might be able to serve the Lord's Supper at your table because the first time Jesus serves the Lord's Supper, it's not with... It's not in a local church. There is no local church assembly. So I think now I think that that's and some, you will have people argue you with that, and I, we, we I, get it. I think there's some gray area there. I don't serve the Lord's Supper at my home table, but I have thought about it before, and mm-hmm. have have thought about what are the theological doctrinal implications of this, and I haven't been comfortable with it enough to do it, but I have given it some thought. Now, mm-hmm. um, with so. But I, I think what was happening then is trying to make it so accessible that, that you, people were cheapening it. And you know, then and, and you could tell that because of then it would it would devolve into jokes. So it became less about, well, is it okay for me to use, you know, all I've got is orange juice and white bread. Is that okay? It became, well, I got Doritos and Mountain Dew, so you know but that's making fun of it. That's mocking it. It's Call belittling. Like Gamer Lord Supper. Um, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, what, what does Paul warn Timothy about? I mean, don't, no, no, irre- no irreverent, silly myths. And, and that's mm-hmm. what that feels like to me. The other thing I think we have to remember is that when Jesus ordains this, it's not in a vacuum. Jesus doesn't walk into the room and go, all right, guys, I got this new thing. I'm going to call it the Lord's Supper. Everybody grab a piece of bread. Everybody grab some, you know, we're going to drink out of this cup of wine. Here's what this means. No, he does it in the Passover. Those elements he gives them already have significance. That unleavened bread already had significance. That Mm -hmm. fruit of the vine already had significance. And what Jesus is saying is, 
all the things this, that, that this used to cause you to remember about the Exodus and proclaim about what Messiah would do when he, when he came, now I'm telling you, I'm Messiah, I'm fulfilling those things, mm-hmm. and you're going to proclaim what I'm about to do until I come back. And that's where I would argue that the elements the, those are elements extremely are, important. Are important because they are symbolic. And so I would go so far as to say, um, and, and I've been guilty of this, now I have not served the Lord's Supper as, as a pastor with just any any bread, but I mm-hmm. have, as a camp counselor, I, I, you know, partook of and served the Lord's Supper with just a, a loaf of bread um, and and grape juice. Uh, I think grape juice is still fruit of the vine. It's unfermented wine, if we want to put it that way. But I think you should be using unleavened bread mm-hmm. because that was the symbol important to the Passover. And I think as closely as you are able to get to those elements that Jesus was using is what you need to be using because again. This isn't this isn't out of a vacuum. This is out of the Passover supper. You're taking two elements from the Passover meal and saying, we are now proclaiming that these things are fulfilled in Christ, that the promise of redemption is fulfilled in Christ, and you do that through those symbols. I think that obedience to the ordinance um, is goes down to obedience even to, to what elements that you use. So I had two uh, strange Lord's Supper I don't know what you would call this, um, not encounters, but, you know, different times that I've taken the Lord's Supper that I found to be strange. And one of them was multiple times because I was uh, working for a Presbyterian church at the time, uh, was the um, Lord's Supper by intinction, where you take the bread, you dip it into the cup, and you eat it. Um, Do you find that to be problematic? I don't think so. No? No. Um, I judge by your tone that maybe you do. <laughs> um, I'm just asking. No, I think that you're still partaking of both elements. I, 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 I don't think that there's any difficulty in individual bread and in individual cup, uh, communal bread and communal cup, uh, intinction, in individual bread and communal cup. I think all those are just methods of delivery. Um, and, and I don't find that Jesus, uh, Jesus just says, take, eat, and take, drink. And there's, there's now, maybe my hangup okay, with intention. I, I, I've got you there. I, is I the understand. take, drink. Um, now, full disclosure, I was a teenager, so I did that. I loved it at the time because, quite frankly, it tastes like jelly toast. Like it's, you know, as a teenager. What's that thing you said about being I, a reference? I got you. <laughs> as a teenager, that's what I thought of, and I thought, I like this because of this. But as I've gotten older, um, you know, that, that's become more problematic to me simply because of how can you take and drink it from dipped bread unless you do some weird, like, I'm picking up using what you're putting it as down. a straw uh, thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting um, down. But the other way, the other thing really had nothing to do with the, the elements themselves other than the person mistakenly got cran grape juice instead of grape juice and the reaction from the congregation as they all drank of it was priceless. Um, so a little more zesty than they expected. <laughs> it's like my daughter will say, oh, it's spicy. I don't know why she says spicy. That's just what she says. But that's just two interesting things that, that I found doing Lord's Supper, other than the nachos thing. Um, the intention I always found kind of interesting, and then the accidental cran grape was pretty funny, to be perfectly honest. But 
So as a meal of symbols, we I think we're proclaiming um, three important spiritual truths. Number one, in the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the death of Jesus in our place for our sins. Mm-hmm. Secondly, we are proclaiming Christ's death both to ourselves and to those who observe as we partake of it. And then thirdly, we are proclaiming, remembering and proclaiming that Jesus will come again, that there is coming a day when we will feast again with him, that he told us he won't be drinking of the fruit of the vine until that day. Uh, and, And so it's remember and proclaim. Remember what he's done, proclaim that he has done it for us, both to ourselves and to those in observance. And then remember and com- uh, remember and proclaim that he is coming again. I, I had a professor say it's remember, proclaim, and anticipate. Sure. Uh, so that's the. I think that is a. There's a really good Andrew Peterson song about that. But is there <laughs> remembering proclaim? Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, one of the things I think people may not do when they're doing the Lord's Supper, they will focus on Jesus died. They will focus on, uh, you know, my sin. Have I confessed my sin? But not many people, I don't, I don't believe, unless they are directed to do that, are focusing on he's coming back. The again. promise of his return. Yeah. I, you know, when we partake of the Lord's Supper together, and, and you know this, I, I read the account from First Corinthians and the yes. instructions. I just read them word for word. I, I don't do the instructions myself. I just read them from the Apostle Paul, and then I, I almost give sort of a mini benediction to the Lord's Supper. Um, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he until comes. Until he comes, yep. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, I, I don't think we emphasize that enough, but but I hope that hearing it enough um, sort of drives it into people's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what I've got in my notes. Anything else you want to add? Not that I know of. The Lord's Supper. All right, well. Now I'm really looking forward to the Lord's Supper in a couple of weeks. When are we doing that? Anyway, that's not for the show. We'll talk about this after... Every every fifth Sunday. Every fifth Sunday. Uh, Oh, now we won't get into regularity of the Lord's Supper. Um, Some of you are weekly. Some of you are quarterly because Nashville says you should be. Some of you do it every fifth Sunday. No, no, no. (laughs) Every fifth Sunday, not as we... Not one, two, three, four, Lord's Supper. One, two, three, four, Lord's Supper. every fifth Sunday Every time a month is a fifth Sunday, which means that we do it quarterly. quarterly. Oh, great. We're one of those. All right. Got some praying to do. Bye, everyone.